Welcome one, welcome all, and welcome back to the 20th episode of the Transform Your Game podcast. My name is Richard, and I get to be your host and moderator here. Alongside me are my three savvy co-hosts that are more than meets the eye, Kent. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm a reasonable guy, but I've just experienced some very unreasonable things. Kai. Exodia. Old Blundery. And Joel. Hey there. <laughs> uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, we're actually in the third and final episode of our three-part miniseries on deck building and settled metagames. Getting to relive some of the short yet glorious history of the Transformers TCG organized play that uh, you know we know and we love. Two weeks ago, we covered the earlier waves, uh, not really one so much, but two and three. Last week, we went through the roller coaster ride that was the Wave 4 metagame. And this week, we've caught up to our real-world selves and are, gonna be co- uh, pardon me, are going to be covering Titan Masters Attack and what exists out there so far. Uh, quick housekeeping time, very little in the way of news in the TFTCG world out there right now, but pretty much every place that houses the game is active, at least online. Content creators are still chugging along, putting out some really great stuff right now. <clears throat> Not us. Uh, <laughs> the community on Facebook, Reddit, and otherwise is active every day. The webcam uh, games group in particular is still seeing a good amount of traction. Uh, you still have tons of avenues to engage with this game, and I just thought it would be nice to remind you all right there about that right now. Um, and on another note, um, Kai and I are actually participating right now, speaking of engaging in game, uh, in the game, uh, in a sealed tournament for Wave 5 that started just after release. Uh, it takes a little bit longer to run uh, these types of tournaments through webcams, so as you can imagine, it's still ongoing, actually. Um, however, of the nearly 30 players, both of us have guaranteed ourselves a nice little top 8 berth. Um, I was lucky enough to take down my early rounds and be able to intentionally draw with my 4th and 5th round opponents. How did your Swiss rounds go, Kai? Um, so the first two rounds was pretty easy, and then uh, because I two owed both opponents, I had to play against the other player who uh, two owed both his opponents in round three, and that was Dan. And in my opinion, Dan had the scariest pool in in the uh, the entire <laughs> event, so um, that was unfortunate. So I had to fight my way to uh, after getting smashed from him in the third round. I had to play Stefan and had to had to really work for my top, but uh, <laughs> we're getting here, boys. That's awesome. Sweet. Um, actually, actually speaking speaking of that tournament, uh, you guys want to know something funny? Uh, do any of you here remember uh, me kind of taking out some of my frustration when we reviewed Megatron during spoiler season? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, um, on a on a different note, a positive note, he is an absolutely uh, dynamite care to play in sealed if you get the chance to. Um, attacking for base 7, especially if you can get any of the HP heads on him, um, I have Kreb in my pool, uh, let, let him survive. He is pretty nice. Um, anyway, a big shout out to the fellows over VectorSigma.info for keeping a semblance of a tournament scene alive in times, uh, where that seems like a pretty, pretty difficult task to do, and for anyone else who's making the effort to do so. Um, another piece of interest for me, and I hope the rest of the team here as well, is actually the article that the TFTCG team put out this week. Uh, Scott Van Essen released, uh, I guess it was last week by the time this is going to come out, um, 
released, uh, released an article on stratagems and their inclusion in Wave 5, the design uh, kind of motivation behind them. I was wondering if you guys got a chance to, re to read it. If so, what you thought. I know that Drew actually asked us uh, our thoughts on stratagems specifically when we interviewed him around Waves 5 release. So I'm just curious what you guys thought of the article and the content. I loved the article. I thought it was uh, really cool to get a peek behind the curtain of the design process and what was kind of going through their minds uh, collectively as they implemented that new card type into the game. I hope they continue to make more stratagems in every single set. I absolutely love them and the way it helps you uh, have a more modular strategy in the way that you build your decks. I loved the article. Game design is really important to me. I think I mentioned that several times. Um, definitely offline to you guys, and I think probably a couple times when we're actually recording. Uh, but it was so cool for me to be able to just have like a, a quick peek behind there. I also thought it was a very well written article. Just you know, just another compliment out to uh, to the team. I just I thought that it was it was quick, uh, but it hit relevant points. I didn't feel like it hampered anywhere or like or like you know. Um, tried to conceal too much. Even that part where he did the, uh, there was this part during it where he did the little re like fake redacted portion in one of his descriptions of a possible <laughs> other uh, <laughs> Are, you, are you saying Starscream didn't actually edit that? <laughs> no, 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 Starscream <laughs> definitely edited that. That was definitely okay. Starscream. Okay, I didn't want my, my uh, fantasy destroyed. No, 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 I just think Scott and Starscream were in it together. They were in on the joke. Oh, did, that was a bit, okay. Yeah, it was a bit. That makes That's, more sense. No, 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 I can see where you would miss that. I can see I can see that, but um, I love that. I thought it was just a nice little throwaway joke. It was brought some levity to a topic that was, was certainly not dry, but it was definitely like a little bit more serious, right? A little bit more uh, technical, so that was cool. Um, okay, uh, I think the listeners have waited long enough. Our topic, like I said earlier, is building and designing decks for settled metagames. This week, with a focus on Wave 5 play so far. As a quick reminder, we began with the premise on our original episode of these, uh, that a settled metagame exists in the somewhat nebulous space on the spectrum between a new metagame and a solved one. Uh, the competitors have often identified some powerful contenders by the point a metagame is settled, and people looking for inspiration often have targets to aim for, whether they be specific decks they're trying to beat, or more axes, kind of like a, a less, a more ethereal uh, idea, uh, but the type of things that games typically hinge on. Uh, the dust in these types of metagames have, has begun to settle, but normally there's still a number of undiscovered aspects or powerful archetypes that yet remain. Maybe even a really, really good deck that kind of comes into fruition at the late parts because it takes a lot of moving pieces and a lot of knowledge of metagame to really find. Okay, uh, let's get cracking. Kai, take it away, my friend. All right, so the beginning of the Wave 5 metagame, we're actually going to talk more about the uh, spoiler season a little bit because um, the one of the first ones we saw spoiled was Sky Shadow. And just from the offset that we knew the Wizards team was trying to make dual, dual combiners work. And they, they definitely upped the power level of Sky Shadow. And from that kind of set the tone because we, we knew Sky Shadow was going to be strong because 8 bold 2 is kind of ridiculous, but... Um, <laughs> getting Pierce 4. And not, never discount Ominous, but uh, yes, <laughs> Pierce 4 as well. But uh, yeah, so from there we knew that uh, it was going to... Like we didn't, so we didn't actually know what it was, but it was basically setting the tone for what this set is, which is a lot of aggression, a lot of direct damage, and a lot of Pierce. And that's been a lot of the things that 
we've seen as problems, quote unquote, problems that other decks have to solve if they are not attempting to act, uh, to act on those accesses. So um, throughout spoiler season, we saw powerful um, dual combiners, which is the Sky Shadow. And then we also saw the Titan Master mechanic, which is inherently powerful on its own. Some people may not recognize that immediately, but playing as a game with a Titan Master, you immediately recognize like how strong two characters in one is and them being as modular as they are. But among all that, all those new mechanics and whatnot, we've seen a lot of, we've seen particularly uh, three three pillars uh, arise from the ashes, so to speak. Uh, and that is Sky Shadow, Perceptor, and Horrible. And from all the various sources that we've seen so far of tournament results and videos, gameplay videos and webcam games and any any way of interacting with the game, we, we've seen most decks include at least one of those characters. Why do you guys think these characters seem to shine above the rest of the field? Well, I think the the, the first reason, it, well, let's look at the, the Titan Master perspective. Like the think 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 who's normally going with horrible or, or perceptor. You know you've you've got a, you've got Grax going with them. Usually it depends on the lineup, obviously what what you can fit. But like let, let's just think about horrible. <clears throat> First of all, you've got you've got a lot of direct damage, and horrible is six stars on his own, and then you put Grax on there, and he adds an extra three stars, an extra five health. So horrible himself is at fourteen health for nine stars, which is really powerful. And then if, you, if you think about, if you think about the addition of, yeah, it's a second character uh, when, when, when Grax falls off. So, so we have another, another, another five health uh, there. So, so we're, we're, we're looking at, we're looking at a, you know, a, basically a, a nine star character if you look at it all combined a nine star character with 19 health that I think that right there is a big reason why horrible uh, or perceptor holding Grax why 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 everyone's decided that the 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 health heads are, are the, the way to go I mean 19 health for nine stars is uh, is absurd uh, un unprecedented I mean like beyond uh, absurd <laughs> sure, <laughs> absurd. I mean, uh, I, I remember when when Nemesis and his 16 health for, for 12 stars was. What are you supposed to do with that? It's ridiculous. Well, nine star, two, three less stars, <laughs> and 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 three more health. I mean, that is that. That's really the reason that that horrible is uh, is in my opinion the, the most powerful character. I mean, sure, look, it just seems so so overpowered. Um, Stat-wise, for the amount of stars that that we're considering, and it's not just Titan Masters; it's really specifically horrible and and Perceptor in in that case, and and Sky Shadow. The reason Sky Shadow is so big is is the direct damage and all the pierced, and and you 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 get the extra head for for one more star, so 15, uh, 15 stars, and you get this twenty health character, and that becomes another character that. And it's it's all the the unstoppable damage with the pierce. It's just so obviously more powerful than the than the other than the other characters that are out there. It's it almost it almost narrows the field where you can only play those characters. I mean, you can't only play those characters, but you but if you're not including one of those characters or Whirl in your uh, starting line, <laughs> then you're really looking for you know an auto loss. Yeah, 
I, okay, so I actually think I think that that's a really good point on horrible. That just like so, the health heads are almost unequivocally the best heads, right? Like I, I think that we can pretty much agree on that at this point. Um, basically, any Titan Master, if you take the average number of health points that are actually given to a character at a certain number of stars in the middle of the spectrum, you know, uh, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, then. If you add one of the health heads, uh, especially Kreb or Grax, onto them, then you retabulate like the actual number of health points they have per star. The efficiency there is just astronomically higher than anything else we've ever seen. On top of the fact that that additional health that the character, the, the smaller character has, when they pop off, um, that there's a stopgap for uh, like in the middle, I guess towards the towards the back end of that actual total health pool so that your opponent can't even if they have some ridiculous attack where they combo off with a thundercracker and attack you for 30 right like you'll they still won't be able to trample over or actually like accomplish dealing with all of your health pool all at once you'll still have another person left a little a smaller bot a less relevant attacker in most cases outside of grass because he's got four attack for some reason um uh, or like Clover, for example, is a really good attack when he pops off. But I'm just saying like that is a piece of the equation is so, so relevant in so many games. Because what, one of the things it helps you do that StopGap does is it helps you manufacture width. We've talked, uh, particularly me, we've hammered home the point of how king width is because combat is a resource in the Transformers TCG. All right, so we've talked about how important like the width of your team, the number of characters that are actually relevant attackers is to any particular game. We've talked about the fact that in this wave, you can't be a blue deck without at least two relevant attackers on your in your lineup, or you're just not going to be able to race people, right? So like, these are things that you have to be able to consider constantly, right? Like, so you're functionally manufacturing width in a blue lineup if you have multiple relevant attackers, because you're not just making the game all about your one attack with your big guy. You have multiple big guys who are relevant. So each wheel turn, um, you're basically attacking with more relevant guys, you're averaging a higher damage output, right? I think the reason that Sky Shadow is so good, since um, Joel hit home with Horrible, I feared I would go with Sky Shadow, and we'll just leave Perceptor up to you, Kent, after me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think one of the reasons that Sky Shadow is so, so good is that he is the epitome, I think it's a he, he is the epitome of the idea of manufacturing with. The duo combiners, or the duo cons, whatever you call them, um, like all of them have the clause that when they combine, they come in untapped, right? So you're getting an extra untapped character out of that. On top of the fact that because he has a head after he becomes combined, that means you're gonna get another additional untapped character before another wheel turn. And that character, Ominous, is almost always a relevant attacker, right? He's guaranteed two damage, unless your opponent's playing stabled cover or something, right? And that in and of itself is kind of mind-boggling that you have uh, two relevant attackers in the four power, uh, bold two and nothing um, offensively, uh, of the pieces that combine into Sky Shadow. That they weaponize one of their deaths or one of their being one of them being KO'd to create another even more powerful attacker, and that attacker gives way to another powerful attacker or relevant attacker. 
That's just so much to deal with over the course of the game. The output that those characters have on average is absolutely well above anything else we've, we've seen so far. You know, uh, Kai, you talked about the fact that um, they were really trying to make two-part combiners relevant by pushing Sky Shadow. I really do think they nudged a number in so many spots over the course of that character. I feel like the tank probably had three power in a, during a lot of the testing and they nudged it to four. And I think that the plane probably had one defense for a lot of testing and they nudged it to two. And my guess is that uh, Sky Shadow had seven attack and probably pierced three on Ominous um, up until the point that they nudged those numbers up. And I think- like, I, I wish I think he did. I think he probably did two damage because there's, t there's there are characters that exist in the game that deal two damage when they flip or combine, right? Like you look at Thundercracker, you look at Nemesis Prime, both from Wave One. Like both those characters deal two damage. Like that's uh, that's an instance we have that exists in the game. I wouldn't even be surprised if that number got nudged up one. My point here is that I think that Sky Shadow is so intentionally good on rate alone because if you look at him other than the three damage when he combines that character is just a ball of stats right like they don't change that they don't change much what the axis of the game is actually on except for the fact that they don't have to flip so the fact that there's a ball of stats that you never have to worry about actually flipping means that the constraint on your deck building uh, uh on your lineup is only a matter of stars you're only having to consider a matter of stars. You're not having to consider order. Um, there's a, there are fewer cards that seem relevant in playing. Uh, they they kind of like turn characters who are normally, it's a tough choice whether or not you're going to use their ability it, because it, it relies on you being them being very flip intensive. It becomes very abusable or exploitable in the form of something like Perceptor, like Horrible, or even like, um, you know, Another character who could flip something like that. I, I can't think of any other ones off, off the top of my head, but I'm sure that there are other ones that exist that way. <laughs> um, my point is, I think that Sky Shadow is just very clearly the biggest ball of stats we've ever seen, and is the epitome of manufactured width within a lineup, regardless of the color of the lineup. And I think that that is uh, why he's so above the normal cut. Yeah, Sky Shadow's like absolutely ridiculous. One of the main things that really just hurts is like you cannot kill one of those pieces of Sky Shadow in one swing. You you can't. Um, so you're going to probably go into him, you know, twice. Like, hey, let's say you're playing Pounce and here's a weapon on Pounce. Here's a secret action. And even if they're playing Sky Shadow in an orange-black shell, like the Sky Bull deck, you're only attacking for nine. You still can't take out one of those pieces, even with that big of an attack. That's part of the problem uh, with that character, is the defense of the inherent pieces. And the, the bold two on the Sky Shadow plane is, like, really crazy. Uh, when you consider like, hey, you're playing horrible in the same deck, almost every card is black and orange, and like, hey, I'm doing all this free damage with horrible, and now like, here's a bunch of Pierce coming at you from Sky Shadow. Let's break it down. Here's horrible. All right, let's cami and crash you for three. Awesome. Here is now a fusion bore on the plane. Cool, there's another point on your guy, so now there's four, and now I'm gonna flip Horrible and move another one to him. Okay, that's five, and now here comes Sky Shadow with, like, 
a million pierce because of the fusion borer and all the orange black. And it's just like your character is gone. Like you got one attack with him. I hope it was a good one. Yeah. Like that, that's just, it's almost impossible to overcome that. And since that deck has become so popularized, and, and Richard, I, I absolutely think that you were the first person to find that deck uh, during spoiler season. And you told us then, like, you thought it was the best deck. And <laughs> it didn't take us very long to go, yep, I think you're right. But now everyone knows. And it wasn't hard to figure out for no. people. Um, it was not and hard now, to figure at all. And now it's everywhere. And now it's Mirror Match, Sky Shadow Horrible. Well, now it's just who drew peace through tyranny. And that's, I, I don't know. I think this game in Wave 4 was so incredible. That meta was fantastic. And this meta seems very funneled down to the three pillars that, that we're talking about, Sky Shadow, Perceptor, and Horrible. I think we've been saying that for over two months now on the podcast. Like, every game you sit down at a tournament, you're going to play against one of those three characters or more. It will be in your opponent's deck every single round. And, yeah, that especially as you go into the later rounds with the winning record. Mm-hmm. Um that's a, a little concerning for me. Um, but let's talk about Perceptor for a minute. Like, I really, really love this card. Um, very well thought out, well designed. Um, just the fact that now you can play with fewer copies of certain cards in your deck and be you just have this incredible search engine to find them. And it is like a real, you know, test of skill. Uh, to play this card properly, both for you and your opponent. Um, the One of the big concerns about Perceptor is just how much time it adds to the game for your opponent to look at the piles, for you to look at the piles and make a decision quick. This also means that you're shuffling your deck more often. You're usually putting him with um, a health head, of course, and Sky Shadow because... Hey, why the heck not, right? Now, now you can play against Horrible. If you don't want to go uh, the direct damage route, maybe you go the Perceptor route, and now you can search for your piece through Tyranny and just grab it, which can give you an edge, but it, it seems like it's just a different flavor of the same deck, kind of like the uh, three Titans, Horrible, Fangry, Quake. Like, th- that's just, I, I mean, 95% of the cards in that deck are the exact same as Sky Shadow Horrible. Um, and as, as we were talking before the cast, Richard, you said, is it even that different of a deck at that point? And it's like, not really. Yeah, I mean, those those three cards are on a different level than everything else in this set and almost everything else that's come before them. I, I feel like Wave 5 has this incredible incredible amount of diversity and how your game playing can be modular and all that and then it's all stifled because uh, it's hard to play autobots which we'll get to to later and these three characters are so powerful that you're you would almost be foolish not to play with at least one of them which makes all the decks kind of in the metagame just feel very samey samey well most of those decks um like we're talking about are are building on 
uh, are building their their decks around uh, an orange black kind of kind of base as 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 far as like the battle deck is concerned and and I think that that, that really sprung from the end of the wave format game like we were talking about last time uh, with the Burgos bold deck uh, because there were just there were so many orange black cards in that deck that were just terrible cards <laughs> unplayable garbage I couldn't believe when I saw that deck list it was terrible what's the um, what's the mercenary card that it was playing that it had no mercenaries opportune repairs <laughs> I mean, the, the battle deck, the the battle deck as far as like playability is just complete trash. Seriously, I mean, I couldn't believe how well it worked, and 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 just playing that first time, I was like, man, I cannot believe that this pile of junk works. But it works so well, like you, you didn't even need to play cards. It was basically just you know hope for composite armor to put on to to put on demolisher, and you know supercharge or something and just hope hope for the best but but with with wave five there was there was so much other uh so so, so many other cards added in that, that are totally playable um mag ray precision fire escape capital to a to a certain extent depending on depending on the build i mean that that card could be just as useless as uh I can. I forgot what you just said. That's it still cool. gives plus one attack, and you can play it on anybody. You don't have to play it on a on a on a that's, body. That's true. It's not quite as useless, but still terrible if you were just sort of playing it in there uh, with with the inability to play it on one of your characters. However, as we just discussed, you're not going to play a deck that doesn't have Perceptor or Horrible or Sky Shadow or a combination <laughs> of those. So it's really good in there. So Orange Black, Orange Black seems to be the way to go right now. Everything is, is just sort of filtering around that. So um, <clears throat> my question to you guys is, what kind of style of play do, do you think Orange Black abundant decks encourage? And, and uh, what kind of axis of the game uh, do you think wins and losses revolved around in that case? Well, I think it's a. I, I really actually I like that question, um, and I think the Burgos Bold is uh, a perfect example of the of the concept that we've hammered home uh, on every time we talk about limited and oftentimes in other casts, right? Which is that combat is kind of like the major resource you manage in this game. I think the way that you flip pips, you're basically managing combat all the time. You're trying to construct your deck in a way where combat is um, less inconsistent. So, um, but as far as what type of what those types of decks encourage right like we've been talking for since the early spoilers the death of tough right so like tough is so dead it's it's hard to even really <laughs> i don't think i've put a sparring gear in a deck since like april maybe even before that before then <laughs> yeah not that i'm not that i was ever the biggest fan of sparring gear i'm much more an extra padding guy but um uh, I, I just like tough feels so dead to me. Uh, I, like I just don't understand how you can construct your deck in a way where you're trying to defend for six if you're always going to take five, no matter what what happens. So it's encouraging people to naturally build their decks in and slant them more aggressively. Um, I also think the axes the games are, are hinging around is basically um, who sees more ways to subvert combat. So if we're talking about um, orange black decks kind of like being about guaranteed damage and they kind of like make combat this foregone conclusion like every turn your opponent's going to attack you for six pierce four right like or like six pierce three or, or something like along those lines if that's the minimum they're going to attack you for every single turn 
um, then you can kind of like use your health pools in a way where you can construct it so that, uh, especially because a lot of the direct damage cards are, are in orange and black colors already, you can slant your attacks in a way where you can build towards your out of combat damage being the thing that KOs one of their crucial characters. You can set it up that way so that you don't have to waste attacks going into the same character over and over again. And you can use these cards that, that cause damage, that's non-attack damage, that subverts combat in order to improve your already really, really solid, oftentimes guaranteed damage combat plan. I think those are the things that like oftentimes we're seeing these revolve around. Orange Black is, it is the meta and before you take a deck to a tournament, you need to be able to stand your ground against horrible sky shadow. Um, that's that's just that. The fact that Tough is dead, it's strange that they would make the game this way because that's been a core mechanic for four waves and now it's like it doesn't even exist. Or it exists, but you'd be silly to play it. I'm anxious for wave six. Joel was talking about this before the cast. They say that they'll probably have a you know new pip months and months and months, last year maybe. Uh, they mentioned that maybe some blue cards with a yellow pip or a pink pip or whatever color it is and maybe should just stop pierce you know one pierce for every color that you flip of that yellow something like that i think would make things maybe stabilize and go back to normal because yeah this meta is just orange black swing for the fences as much as you can bold 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 acid storm like would look great if he wasn't such a little dude that just curls up and dies because uh, he has no relevant attack. And they just burn him to the ground with horrible. Doesn't doesn't Estorn have two attack in bot mode? Or is it three attack? No, it's two. <laughs> so, so, I mean, again, they're playing only orange and black and horribles and both pieces of sky shadow inherently have two defense. Um... <laughs> yeah. So how do you play a blue deck in a meta like this where they're piercing you for four or more every single swing and all this direct damage too? I think it's almost impossible. Early on, I said Hollow Matter Projector is going to be one of the defining cards of this set. What's happened is as more people have started main decking Hollow Matter Projector, more bashing shields have gone into the horrible sky shadow deck let's say you have two hollow matters and they have two bashing shields who's gonna see it first probably them because they have inherent tough two and bold two on their two sky shadow pieces so like the moment you drop it they've probably already picked up a bashing shield and it's gone it's difficult to like understand what other style of play you're supposed to play right now to really be competitive against a deck like that. Well, so one of the things that I've been finding about uh, this current metagame is that even regardless of whatever deck you're playing, blue, orange, or orange, black, you have to be aggressive, you have to be proactive, and you can't really just rely on just, oh, I'm going to play my Hollow Matter, and then I'm going to play my Secret Action, and then I'm not going to take any damage next turn, and then I'm going to get super powerful with my Perceptor, and then I'll just beat you down that way. You, you can't play that way anymore. You basically have to keep, you basically have to get as much inch as you can before your characters die, because your characters are going to die. It's not, it, there's, there's no two ways about it anymore. 
there are so many axes axes of damage in this game now that are powerful that you cannot accept that you you can only hope to limit it as much as you can so that you have the upper edge for by a turn or something so basically you have to get more aggressive and um that's not something a lot of people like because um it's it's very it can be very frustrating because you feel that you have less time to react to or prepare for a situation and it definitely hurts people who like can't think ahead because then it's like oh if i if i don't plan my hollow matter correctly then i just lose it and then it and then i just take a bunch of damage that i could have prevented if i was able to think ahead or something but even that is like then you have to worry about things like belligerence or something like sky shadows attacking after a ptt so it's like all these avenues besides just orange black is making it to where you have to fight for every inch that you can get or else you will not be able to just stand up in this metagame and it, it's <laughs> it's a back and forth for me I, I don't mind it as much but yeah it's it's definitely uh something we haven't seen in the game for a, a bit of a while if ever so yeah uh, one of the other defining traits so we talk a lot about orange black pips right i mean um, I think one of the other traits, and we've been talking about this for a while, probably since spoiler season, is just how much direct damage, non-attack damage exists out there. It's always been good, right? Like, even even back in, as far as Wave 1, people were playing Zaps in their bug lists, <laughs> which I think was a way to break the mirror against um, uh, Scrapnels to, in order to make sure <laughs> that he didn't take three attacks. But, and that card was terrible, right? Uh, but I think one of the cards that was defining in that wave was One Shall Stand, One Shall Fall. And then probably the most expensive rare out of Wave 2 was Marksmanship, a card that was an absolutely powerhouse inclusion for any blue deck, given that ranged characters were so good in the first place. All the way through Wave 4. And with the advent of Wave 5, that card has fallen off, certainly, right? Because there's so many characters who are not going to be in their bot mode because they either don't have one or they can't flip, <clears throat> Sky Shadow, or or they, uh, you know, they want to be in their alt modes while they're doing things. The Airstrike Patrol and uh, Wave 4 Springer come to mind. Um, so uh, while Marksmanship was one of the defining cards of the Wave 4 metagame uh, and a key piece in Wave 3, uh, we've gotten a lot more options for non-attack damage. What do cards like Magray, like Magnetic Dysfunction Ray, Camion Crash, uh, Sturdy Javelin, and the character-based burn damage uh, make you weigh heavily in terms of deck construction? What kinds of teams maximizing what angles of attack seem necessary for you to build with uh, when you're facing that? Direct damage is a really major way to try and beat the opponent as quickly as you can or set them off base at, at the very least. Been trying a uh, Pounce, Night Racer, and Perceptor deck. You're trying to play stable cover and take cover to minimize the pierce and direct damage and hollow matter. Even with that, and even with digging for more secret actions and making Perceptor bigger and playing those secret actions to make Pounce bigger, like it, it just feels like it's not enough. When I saw Night Racer, I like absolutely fell in love with her. I was like, yes, I, I love blue. Um, and then Pounce, it's like, great relevant attacker and perceptor okay he's gonna get super crazy big eventually and can help you you know dig for what you need um and that deck can hold its ground versus sky shadow horrible but it's just not enough to consistently beat it uh because the direct damage 
is so high. And I've experimented with other, you know, characters in the slot of Perceptor, uh, to, you know, to varying degrees of success. But the, the fact is, is like once you kill Sky Shadow, a Sky Shadow piece, well, there he is. And now every character you have that is tapped once Sky Shadow combines is dead. Whichever one they want to attack is going to die. Name a character, they're gone. That's just what happens when they get to attack with that character. I think a lot of people, because there aren't enough tools to combat the pierce and direct damage, they're kind of like, well, if you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> and I think that's why so many people are just cloning that deck and going off with it. And then it's just like, what flavor do you want? Do you want the Fangry Horrible Quake deck or the Sky Shadow Horrible deck or the Perceptor uh, Sky Shadow deck? Because uh, there's a lot of direct damage and piercing that still. So right off the bat, like you, when we're taking into consideration burn, like Hollow Matter is probably just going to be in your deck regardless. Like there are a few decks I, I can think of like cars that cannot afford to play it because they just don't have the time or luxury to play an armor when they need to be attacking or searching for their uh, untap or something like that. But uh, I think Hollow Matter is like the base uh, that you should at least prepare for and one for the side for specifically like horrible and all that cool jug. But um, so uh, Hollow Matters have been gaining a lot of popularity, but also things like Reflect Damage, we saw that have some success as well as uh, Take Cover is also um, starting to become very popularized. And a lot of people are starting to get, uh, starting to play copies of multiples in their decks. And it's like, that's the type of thing that you have to start considering because you, yeah, you are going to take direct damage, but if you can make it a turn to where only they're taking direct damage, like Horrible or their Quake or something, then that could give you the edge. So if you you just want to look for opportunities like that, where even if you're like the orange deck, you could play a copy of like Reflect Damage or something, especially if you have like a, an Autobot, like Parsec or something in your lineup, then Reflect Damage is just fantastic against Sky Shadow. So yeah. you have to take steps like that in order to uh, help combat this burn. Yeah, so about the subject of direct damage, what I'm thinking about when I first start putting my lineup together is just like raw stats, like raw amount of health. Mm -hmm. so, so when I'm doing that, I'm, look, I'm looking for how much health can I get? So like, I look at someone like Whirl, you know, and his 12 stars with 15 health. <laughs> and I mean, he's got zero defense, but who cares? Cause you can't block anything anyway, right? So, I mean, Whirl is really good. 15 health for zero defense, 12 stars. <clears throat> hmm. Uh, okay, <laughs> so seriously though, after just reiterating how terrible World is, I, you know, I like to actually, I think a, a good place to start, and I've gotten some pushback on this uh, in the group, but I, I really like to start every lineup that I build, and, I, and this is not a meme, I'm not trying to make a joke. Like I'm, I'm thinking about starting with Motormaster as my first character, and then working with 20 other stars. And, and my, my line of thinking is that uh, if, if Grax is a good card, which he is, Grax is a very good card, you know, you're paying three, you're paying three stars for five health on one of your characters. What you're, what you're doing with Motormaster is basically paying, paying five stars for eight health for all of the rest of your team. 
and protecting the rest of your team from all the direct damage that's out there because they can't target anybody else. It's possible your opponent can make a mistake and decide to try to deal some damage to somebody else, and then it's even more health because Motormaster won't let them won't let them do that. Uh, but but Motormaster, while he does he can get burned down really fast, he he's covering the rest of your team eight with eight life worth of direct damage protection. Plus he's a Decepticon, which gets you around Magray. Uh, because I, I'm also with, with things like Magray out there, uh, I, I'm really trying to build my team with only Decepticons in mind because Magray is such a uh, prominent card because of the because of the pip colors on it and because it just doubles up on on Autobot. So if your opponent is uh, unfortunate enough to start someone like Whirl, that they're just taking extra damage just because they're playing Whirl. Another reason that Whirl is very good it takes extra damage from Magray. So so. I think that that starting with your with your lineup with with Motormaster is is a is a safe place to start uh, just to protect from all the direct damage because because yeah direct damage is just a huge huge deal right now. You know I think it's interesting you brought up the health portion there, uh, Joel, just because like that's like the major thing that I've been doing. We talked about the death of Tough in the previous like point right on orange black cards being everywhere, and I think that. If you're if tough is dead, how do you play defense, right? Like, how do you play defense? Even if you're in the aggressive role, sometimes you're a slightly bigger aggressive deck, a slightly slower aggressive deck, and maybe the way that you employ that is by you really just max out on the actual raw HP of your characters, right? So one of the car, one of the combinations, character combinations I've been trying so hard to make work is Fangry with Grax as the head. Now, I know that a lot of people when they first saw Fangry will look at him and be like, if you put a one-star head on him, he's seven, he's just a four-bold two with a one-star head. But the reality of the metagame is um, there are no real characters um, outside of the occasional Night Racer who are less than seven stars. So he's rarely attacking, um, if you're ever on the draw, he's rarely attacking a, 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 into a, a character with the bold two until after Sky Shadow has already combined, at which point most of the damage is done, right? So if the if looking at the other attributes that Fangry has as a character, for six stars, he already has eleven health. That means if you put a Grax on him for nine stars, you're getting sixteen raw health with two defense no matter which mode he's in, and you're getting the five additional health after the stopgap on Grax, and you're not losing a point of attack when you're when that happens. You're still gonna be four attack. Which is really important. Um, one of the other things you can do is if this isn't a defensive deck, when you flip Fangry into his uh, body mode, which is an ability that most of us have discarded, uh, he gets a, a tough, so he gets inborn tough. You don't have to play it in your deck, but you can dig through your deck uh, when you're being attacked by smaller characters for green pips. You can minimize damage to the pierce damage without having to waste an upgrade to do so, um, which is in and of itself still powerful if, you're, if the flip demands of the rest of your team are not super, super intensive. Um, I've been trying to, to like get that character combination into a lineup that has powerful characters alongside him um, and doesn't give up relevant attacks to do so. Uh, and my, my only problem with that is I keep feeling like I have to push this deck into orange. I can't play it blue even though I want to naturally be defensive because if you're just playing it blue with the occasional oranges, you're attacking for four, maybe five with your with Fangry himself. And that means you're spending nine stars on a character who's never dealing more than three damage on each one of his attacks. And that's just not really 
doable, right? Unless you like are spending actions and upgrades to pump them every single turn, and your whole deck is actions and upgrades that pump your characters, like you're just not going to be able to like out damage people, even with that enormous like pool of health across your team. Even if it's a theme you're trying to maximize across the team, like even if you're upwards of 45 health somehow. That, that will still be a problem that you're facing. And that's one of the things I find frustrating when I'm trying to build here. But it is one of the axes I believe that there's still room for us to develop on. Y'all feel me on that? And one thing that I think we are all kind of talking about is what we should be looking to answer when you sit down for a game in the Wave 5 meta. Obviously, direct damage and pierce is what we've has been a reoccurring theme. How, how are we going to answer that? And what are you going to play to get around those objectives of your opponent to, you know, just burn you down and pierce you down with unblockable damage? One thing that's really kind of uh, harrowing for me is the fact that it almost feels that outside of Perceptor, Autobots don't exist in this meta. Like in, you know, Wave 2, in wave three meta until they banned uh, press the advantage decepticons were nowhere they just it, it was like half the characters you couldn't even play them um and now it kind of feels like it's the opposite of that between mag ray and especially sky shadow it's just it's really really difficult like you have to have like if you're playing autobots have at least one reflect damage in your deck because you're going to go up against against Sky Shadow quite a bit. And that is a, a really good counter to his, you know, three burst direct damage uh, when you kill one of the pieces. And so I think that that's pretty important to do. And I guess given what we've mentioned so far in this cast and you know, the context from what we've played with in our own experience, either through tournaments or playtesting on our own with each other. What is one thing that each of you consider the imperative focus when building a deck to compete in this metagame? So with, um, I'm going to talk about blue decks and orange decks because I think the orange decks and black decks can largely fit the same strategy. But for blue decks, it's basically... I feel you have to play better attack pumps now, like Leap into Battle and Grenade Launchers. I think you probably have to play. Uh, showing off is fantastic with Perceptor because it fulfills both that role and gets you more cards. Mm -hmm. So I think that's already a good fit for Perceptor. But also just Leap into Battle is basically a showing off for one turn on Perceptor to some degree. So you have to, I think you have to take those aspects. Or if you're going like with the Pounce route, then Brainstorm and or ways to play more secret actions and get his attack higher or pep talk with crankcase or things like that to basically just increase your uh attack threshold on your on your side uh faster and more consistently while on the orange side i think it's more about um yeah i mean both both sides can swing for 20 pierce 16 or whatever that's cool but <laughs> you, i think they at this point now they have I've seen some people checking things like uh, not not just counter espionage, but uh, espionage, um, so that they can get rid of your their opponent's uh, PC tyranny or game swinging cards and just basically try and attack them on a different axis that most 
orange decks don't normally attack on or they can go into the route of just being wider with a different set of uh, tools like blaster for example uh blaster is technically four four wide but he starts two wide so the direct damage doesn't affect him as much immediate on the immediate outset and as he starts deploying more characters then he gets additional plays on top of the fact that he's he adjusts to his four wide uh, normal length so the two characters that you are under him you can't even touch him yet because yep you have to wait for them to deploy and then the characters become re relevant attackers so um those type of angles are places where i'm at currently with this meta game what about you guys joel yeah, the, the, the thing that I think you want to do is you want to try to not let your opponent do uh, what they want to do. Like, if, if, if you're running hollow matter projectors in your deck because you're afraid of all the direct damage, you're basically just sort of playing into what your opponent wants to do. Like, sure, if you play a hollow matter projector on one of your guys, then they'll just direct damage another one. I mean, they'll go, oh man, that stinks, I can't get this guy. Oh well, I'll get that guy. You know, the, the total life of your team is still going down. So Hall Matter Projector doesn't really help that much. The reason I was talking about Motor Master is because they must direct everything to that area. So you're really disrupting their plan. So so it's basically like adding eight life to your other 20 stars worth of characters. The, the other the other angle I'm, I'm, I'm really thinking about focusing on is things like, like supporting fire or using Razor Claw. Uh, so that you can attack whoever you want because they're trying to protect specific characters that really work to their strategy like horrible they're not swinging out with horrible right at the beginning because horrible isn't who they want you to attack the more damage you deal with horrible the less direct damage they can deal to you with him so things like that are the way that i think that the that the metagame needs to to head so that so that you can knock your opponent off of their axis that they want to play on because like i said when you're playing things like hall projector just to counter them they they can easily re-counter that with things like bashing shield and you're playing right into their right into their strength by not actually applying pressure but applying but trying to decrease their pressure which isn't going to work that's how i would go about doing that or um since the since the metagame is at least at this point so orange black heavy i, I no one's playing blue so so the the main okay no one's playing blue is not true, but the but the <laughs> the, the main uh, focus is on the black and orange. And if you're if you're trying to if you're trying to to beat a deck that's focused with all the focused on the black to beat all the blue, which doesn't even really exist in the metagame, if you're going super heavy on the orange, then you're going to overpower them as far as attack power is concerned. Which goes back to like. My original, uh, my original article uh, with Fangry, which actually now that now that the rules updates are out, doesn't quite work the same as 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 we thought. No. Um, I believe I believe Parsec was the head that I that I put on Fangry, so it wouldn't actually work with Mel in the spotlight. But that's okay. Uh, you can adjust it just a little like bit. Crab. Yeah, just I mean just just change the head and um, lose one bold. Not not that big of a deal. Plus, hey, you're less susceptible to mag ray because you don't have parsec on your head or as your head. So so anyway, yeah, just like uber uber aggressive or um, strategies that that don't concern yourself too much with what you like. Not trying to play your opponent's game because when you play your opponent's game, that's that's what they're trying to do. So you're 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 gonna lose. I'd say the thing that 
I think is imperative to focus on is build a proactive game plan. Kai said this really well earlier when he talked about the fact that um, for him it's not so much a problem as it is a shift. Whereas for me, it's a little bit more of a problem because I really do appreciate the Dirtily style decks. But there is not just there just is not time for you to sit there and and slowly come up with a game plan. If your deck is not not optimized, but if it's not aimed to be doing a specific thing every single game in a reasonable time frame, there is not space for it that we've seen so far. I'm happy to be proven wrong by anyone out there who takes this as a challenge, but I'm just saying in my experience thus far, I have not seen there be time to be able to be carved for you to build some kind of long-term game plan. The only, like one of the product things that I really have interest in exploring further is the EMP Wave deck that plays uh, Springer and Kinetic Converter, or is it Conversion Engine? I think it's Conversion, Conversion Engine. Engine. A conversion engine that seeks to basically play a copy of EMP Wave at the end of every one of its turns and functionally eliminate combat for its opponent so that they always get to attack on the wheel with a character who normally has pierce or something like that. Um, I think that that is a really, really strong proactive game plan. If you're just limiting the damage output on your on the opposing team to what Horrible is capable of doing, um, he will oftentimes kill... Uh, he, or not kill, but he will, he will mostly KO himself before he ever has a chance to really deal with your problematic cards. Um, so that's, a, that's an archetype that I'm looking at exploring further. I'm also looking at exploring decks that um, present uh, like a really, really high ceiling for their performance. Uh, believe it or not, I have even brewed a couple of decks recently that have the card All Out Attack in them. And yes, your microphones are working correctly, your speakers are working correctly. Uh, <laughs> you heard me say All Out Attack in a serious, non-meme way. But just in the idea that if you're playing a deck that has naturally more width than the horrible decks, uh, that what you can do with the Sky Shadow decks is that you can el eliminate the effect, the, the quote-unquote manufactured width of the co combination of Sky Shadow by focusing all of your attacks into that character and reducing them from the two pieces into just ominous, at which point the game should be relatively easy to win. Um, it's functionally like building a PTT, um, but utilizing a different resource. Um, you still get to play PTT in your decks, but I'm just saying like, I, I think that that is something that is powerful enough to consider because the ceiling on the performance is so high that if you can construct your deck in a way to minimize the floor, that having a proactive idea in mind as a larger game plan is where you can earn an edge. And those are the types of things I'm looking at investigating when it comes to attacking this metagame. I mean, one of the things that we haven't talked about much, which I kind of find weird actually, uh, is the fact that you know we're not really talking about targeting this metagame with anything we've seen before Wave 5, you talked so much, Kent, uh, like several times, about the breadth, the, the diversity of interesting cards and characters that are presented here, but Wave 4 had a ton of powerful archetypes. Even Wave 3 had some really good ones that, like, I don't know, maybe those were things worth revisiting. Maybe those are angles we're supposed to be taking when it comes to, uh, you know, hitting this wave, what we've seen so far. What do you guys think? Yeah, so for me, I've seen a lot of these decks, like, I, I think... Part of the reason why we haven't seen the older decks of uh, of, of past uh, come back to fruition is because just the lack of uh, events altogether have kind of restricted how much time people have to play and experiment. So 
uh, tournament now, like there's generally like two major, major quote unquote tournaments, which is um, the Vector Sigma tournaments, whatever they do their thing, or the um, Corona Cup slash Freedom Cup. Uh, those both of those usually take about two to three weeks because of uh, it's online. You have to schedule your time with your opponent, and then you also have to play the game and then report back. And that can take like upwards of three to four days, depending. So you're playing with this deck for like weeks on end. So you don't really have time to explore or play an old deck. You you want to play something new. So I think that exasperates the fact that we're seeing Titan Master decks, why we're seeing Sky Shadow, Perceptor, um, Horrible, why we're seeing those stuff, because you have to play with something for that week. So why not just play something that you can tell is new and strong from the outset so um i don't because i don't think any of the old decks without like a ton of tweaking can really compete like i think blaster and galaxy are probably like two of the best decks on that axis as well as to some degree airstrike if they don't care to play tripwire so it's it's kind of just hard to do that as as well as titan masters just being such a fantastic new mechanic that it it's kind of just pushing out traditional characters in a sense as well. For those that, that don't know me so well, I'm I'm not super tech savvy. I'm not the I'm I guess that there there's my age again. I'm one of those like, oh you know, back in my day we didn't used to do things that way. So that's why I haven't been trying to partake in any of these uh, webcam tournaments or anything. But the 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 way that that I'm uh, trying to integrate the older decks. I mean, like I already talked about an older deck. Uh, going into this into this wave, I mean, like I, I put out an article about it. I, it was the airstrike patrol, just sort of integrating Fangry in over over that old Optimus Prime dude that just gives everybody bold. I mean, who cares about that when you can make one guy really big with uh, uh, lots and lots of bold all just on him, just bold five on turn one. That sounds awesome to me, um, but. So, so, so there's the the airstrike patrol, but I was also thinking about Blaster, because um, obviously I have an affinity for Blaster. He, he's an he's an aggro an aggro deck, but the the main reason I've been sort of steering away from him is is just because he's an Autobot. And like Kent was saying, you know, I I'm I'm trying to avoid Autobots because a lot because of Magray. I mean, Magray Magray is is not. Uh, press the advantage. All right, it's it's not, but uh, it it would be if it had a green pip. I mean, it'd be it would be <laughs> if it had a green pip. It's just that sort of card that just says, "Hey, uh, do this." Oh, by the way, if you're playing Autobots, I hate you. <laughs> the, way, the way that press press the advantage said that about Decepticons. So, Sorry. So, so I'm trying to steer clear of, of Autobots in, in any kind of deck. That, that, that I would be building for for any kind of tournament and and you know the last thing I'm thinking about uh, a third just a, a third kind of like bringing an old deck to the new meta would be to like take the 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 galaxy prime deck that that was so pre uh, prevalent maybe the one that that ran thrust or, or maybe the version that the dam was playing EI and take out take out Optimus prime and and swap in whirl and you have uh, <laughs> God, you have, you have a lot of extra cards for for, for uh, whatever whatever you know. If you want to do some lucky dodges or something, just to see what happens. Wow! Uh, yeah. So he's gotten me so many times this episode. He has. Oh my gosh! I think Joel, you make a lot of good points. Um, Whirl, right? Whirl's the good point. 
Uh, no, literally every other one besides that. Okay. <laughs> but um, but my, what I was trying to say was, I think that Blasters are a reasonable choice, but I also just have such an enormous hesitance to play Autobots. Like, it seems as though they're actively discouraging Autobots. And to be fair, I, I think that a lot of the older dominant archetypes had at least one or more Autobots. And the problem is, playing one Autobot in a format where... Uh, Sky Shadow is one of the predominant pieces where Magra is one of the predominant cards means that you're just opening yourself up to functionally starting with on average like four less health every single game four to five less health than what is printed on your actual card because it costs the cost the people playing those characters nothing really for them to actually get that added value it costs them nothing it's just imposing a deck building restriction on their opponents which I think is really interesting um, from a design perspective if you don't push the power level too far. If you look at like every major archetype with the exception of Bugs and Airstrike Patrol, even some of the Airstrike Patrol decks, they all have one or more Autobots, right? Like even as far back as like Wave 1, right? Like you get uh, Cars and Dinobots and Double Primes and Three Wide Prime and um, and you had Bugs, right? Like outside of Bugs, like all of those decks feature at least one Autobot like as a, as a centerpiece to what they're doing. Right? If you look at Wave 2, you have Aerial Bots as one of the one of the things that rise up, and then not really so much outside of that. But Aerial Bots is an all-Autobots deck. Can you imagine playing Aerial Bots, side note, into Magray? Can you just imagine that? They just play Magray one time and your whole team explodes into dust. Those cards haven't been playable in a while. My point is just I can't even I can't even fathom trying to combat something with that. Um, or if you look at Wave 3, you have the Rise of Cars as one of the things. You have Rise of Blaster. Um, the only deck that in Wave 3 that like wouldn't really be susceptible to, to like the onslaught of Autobot hate right now is funnily enough Major Shockwave who faced press the advantage. Um, and then like again Bugs, which is also relevant at the very end there. And you go to Wave 4, you know, the some of the biggest decks were a Galaxy Prime, who for the most part, I don't know. I think that 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 deck no, probably has real legs in this format. Just because of the fact that it was focusing on maximizing health anyway, and that's one of the things we talked about doing to potentially combat this metagame. So my guess is that Galaxy Prime decks have legs. They just need to be like tuned or tweaked, or they have a couple cards they should be playing that they aren't. Um, I'd be I'd be very interested in trying to uh, iterate on that deck. Actually, I have I think talking through just this cast, I have a little bit more inspiration to build there. I think Jetfire, we talked about the death of Jetfire, I think, when, like on several episodes, because the low health total means you just you just can't, you can't combat Pierce, you can't combat direct damage, you can't be either part of that, and that's, both of those things are prevalent. If, the, if what they're trying to do is make the Wave 5 metagame look different from previous metagames by excluding Autobot dominant, Autobot um, centerpiece decks from being among the top contenders, with the exception of the absolute powerhouse that is Perceptor, then these are cards that are really healthy for for the goal, the stated goal, if that's what the goal is. Um, but I think that the, my hesitance to try so many of these older archetypes is hinging upon the fact that there's an Autobot, and once you're playing an Autobot, you have to like there's too many other concessions you have to make to try and make up for it. Back to what Joel was saying about Magray is not press the advantage. If they draw it, it is. <laughs> it's that bad. What I think is the real press the advantage is Sky Shadow, because that guy will deal three every single game, unless you have a reflect damage um, or a hollow matter. 
that's about all that stops it. Uh, take cover doesn't stop it because it's only direct damage that your opponent does on their turn. When you kill Sky Shadow, it is your turn. I mean, I've had to point that out to a couple people online <laughs> um, when, when we've uh, played webcam games. I would like to try Galaxy Prime with Motormaster and either Night Racer or Flame War. Um, something like that, I think, has potential. Don't sleep on Motormaster. Everybody knows I love that card. <laughs> and uh, he could be very, very important. If you could get a Hollow Matter to stick on him and then play secret actions, maybe such as Stable Cover or um, hiding spots so they can't just pierce him down because before you get that hollow matter on him they are gonna like shoot him a couple times i mean guaranteed so now you just have to well how am i gonna stop pierce five on him because that's gonna kill him right away hey maybe you're playing team up tactics <laughs> i don't know to heal him up um <laughs> and and, and hey, Night Racer is a car, and Optimus and Motormaster are trucks, so you do get some, uh, some options there. I'm not saying that is the way to go, <laughs> but uh, it had crossed my mind. I think if we see in Wave 6 a, a pip that prevents Pierce that can be on some blue cards as well. I think Jetfire might be able to return. I would love to see that because that was such a fun and creative and cool deck to play that just, it cannot do anything now. <laughs> well, after that pretty pretty heavy strategy discussion, um, and by the way, guys, I think you all made some great points, so uh, thanks for contributing here. Uh, I felt like we should get to one of our lovely viewer questions. It's been a minute. Since we don't know these. Um, this week's comes from Rob Clark, actually. And uh, he asks, do you think we'll see a rotation next year to get rid of cards that are obviously extra powerful or just, quote unquote, for the pips without an outright ban? Um, so I guess whether we see a rotation before a ban or a ban before a rotation, like, for example, Peace Through Tyranny Security Checkpoint. I don't think that we're going to see one as as close as next year and this is all my opinion we have no insider information about this i understand like people wanting peace through tyranny uh to go away i i do too and security checkpoint it wouldn't bother me and if they replaced them with another double orange and a double blue card that weren't quite so game swinging i would be cool with that i don't know that we're gonna get a full set rotation though the players are probably not ready for that um, because this is a conversation that comes up a lot uh, when you're just talking to people between rounds and tournaments or after the tournament when you go get a meal with some people you haven't seen because they live across the country <laughs> and you only get to see them at tourneys it, it feels like it's too early and something else maybe to mention here is uh, another game that I play that I've gotten really into uh, during this whole quarantine thing is Vampire the Eternal Struggle, uh, which plays a lot like Transformers. Oh my goodness, it is very, 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 very similar. It's it's way too long-winded, though. Uh, the games take a long, long time. It's not quite as refined and streamlined as Transformers, 
But what's interesting about that game is it's been out since 1996. It's got a zillion expansions, and there's never been a rotation. Never. They have banned a few cards here and there, but there's never been a rotation. So that begs the question, do we ever get a rotation and do we even want one um i think for a lot of games like magic i think it's critical that that game has rotation keeps the games fresh and alive i would be cool with rotation for this game i think it will probably follow in magic's footsteps and be better for it Uh, but also know that there's other games out there that never have rotation at all and have been pretty okay with that too. Yeah, I, I can think of one example of a trading card game that uh, <laughs> does, does that that doesn't rotate, or card card game on motorcycles, depending on how you want to look at it. But uh, <laughs> oh, wow, all, all jokes aside, um, I, the only fact we know is rotation. We will not see that this year. That's the only thing we know. And realistically, that if there was a rotation for next year, whenever it's pushed back because of. Um, circumstances so to speak <laughs> but uh yeah I, I, I don't think we'll see a ban unless like the new the next new mechanics take it more, even more advantage of peace through tyranny or like six shot is is a six shot that i'm thinking of the one that turns to like six things Oh, like uh, yes, I think yeah, Sixshot turns yeah, into six shot he's a one-man army. Like, that'll probably be a 25-star character because he's known as a one-bot army. Right, like think, like something like that, like any any like character down the line that is that is known to be powerful, that gets even more powerful through PC Tyranny, I think we may see a ban then, but taking just this metagame now, I think we're more likely to see a rotation than a ban of either of those cards because they would have to make new double pip cards that are that are known when you're as powerful as take an extra turn or just lose your entire hand turn one so yeah i don't don't think there's any chance that there's going to be a rotation anytime soon especially since everything got pushed back because of of the pandemic so i mean i mean we, we would probably have uh half a half a set of wave six spoilers by this point if everything didn't get pushed back and there's not wave six isn't even anywhere on the horizon as far as i know not again like Kent said not that i have any inside information um so i i don't think that there's any chance that there's a rotation coming anytime soon i i think that at some point there has to be rotation unless they're going to continue to print every card because at some point if the game were to get larger or have been going on for so long like i man what kent was saying about a game from 1996 that's unbelievable if you, you can't get new players coming to a game that's been out for 24 years and hope to be competitive players if cards have been out of print for 23 years or 22 years or something like that i know there i know everyone feels like there's just so much wave one out there they just they they can't trade away their wave one cards because everybody's got everything well that won't be the case forever especially uh, if we have a bunch of new a bunch of new players so there have to be a rotation at some point let's see continue in perpetuity having all these cards in print uh, so i think that it's much more likely that that something that's so degenerate or that that can be degenerate like peace through tyranny would would see a ban at some point or at least some sort of errata that says that there's no text on the card like that card would still be playable if it had no text on the card like i was saying in the last cast 
um, through the first maybe three waves people were playing it, it might as well have had no text on the card. It was True. it was just there for for the pips. So so Iranian cards like that or cards like Whirl, they're obviously totally degenerate. God almighty. <laughs> are, are, are really are really the the, the way that they're gonna have to handle cards like that. I mean, I'm Feast of Tyranny is not not degenerate, but 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 basically every degenerate thing that's happened in the game so far, like infinite combos and things like that, mm -hmm. that, that none of those decks have existed without Feast of Tyranny. Amen. I mean, you know, the cog combo was great, but what made it really stupid was that you could. If you went second on your first turn, you could piece your tyranny, and the game was over before your opponent ever got to play a card. They got to, they got to flip and swing, and good game. Trust me, I know. <laughs> yes, you do. Hey, one more thing about Vampire: The Eternal Struggle and how they're able to not rotate. They have characters in that game just like we have bots in this game. They're put into five different groups. And there's, you know, zillions of factions in that game, whatever. But you can only play group one and two characters together, or group two and three, or three and four, and four and five. And then they reprint all the time. All the time. So that's how they're able to have like an evergreen card pool that never goes away. You just keep getting more options, but they're very careful about like, okay, well, this would be obviously broken with one and two level characters or group characters, I should say. So we're going to put it as a group four character. Um, and the group does not designate its strength either, just so you know. But something like that does work. So I think that one of the things you're illustrating here, Kent, is that while Vampire, which is a game I've not played, so just for the, those listening, I don't have like quite as extensive an information base about it. While it doesn't rotate, it does have another governor that is kind of a, it's not a glass ceiling, but it's something along those lines. Yes. It's intended to help curb the absolute power level uh, of any one particular deck. I think the problem with Transformers is there isn't any type of governor like that. You can't just play Autobots with Autobots. You can't just play Decepticons with Decepticons. Um, you know, like, uh, there's not a governor on the on those cards. There might be a governor that they can put on some of the battle cards, but I think that what we've seen is there's been a power creep, not every set, right? Because one to two, two is two is kind of, I think we can all agree here, is the lowest power level set, and it's not really close, right? Like it gave us- I don't, um, I don't know, I, I kind of would say Siege 1, but that's just me. Okay, I guess Siege 1 is only, for me, only barely above them, but, but then like four is, Hugely powerful. Yeah. And I think four four took a lot of the took some of the cards from three and made them better too. Um, and then I also think way five is like I think we can all agree on this at this point. Five is the most, most powerful set we've seen in our opinion, our estimation, our experience. Um, and so if power creep is going to continue, I'm much more concerned long run that a game ends up like Yu-Gi-Oh does with a difficult to manage, um, constantly updating variable banned and restricted list, then I am worried that rotation is the type of thing that loses players. I think the stats don't bear that out as much as people are afraid that it is the case. Um, 
And I, I think that the game does need some sort of governor in the long run. That said, like Kai mentioned, the only thing we know is that there's not going to be one this year. And like Joel mentioned, things have been pushed back. I would not be shocked if things being pushed back also means any potential rotation they had in mind got pushed back. We might not get a rotation next year. You know, like who knows when Wave 6 is going to come out. Hopefully sooner rather than later. I would love to see Wave 6 um, at any particular point. Yeah, me too. Um, and if, if any of the Watsi team is out there listening, we'd also love spoilers from Wave 6 yes. if you uh, are feeling generous. <laughs> yes. I, I knew, um, a new world stratagem that makes uh, me <laughs> they, they A helicopter a stratagem, that's all we need. A really good helicopter stratagem, right? Joel, Joel, <laughs> I'll make you a deal. I'll make you a deal, right? Um, if they ever print a really good world, you have to play it in a competitive tournament. And if they ever print a really good Megatron, I have to play it in a competitive tournament. They, they already printed a really good world. I'm, I'm going to play it. <laughs> All right. I believe that brings us to the close of episode 20 of the Transforming Game podcast. I just wanted to give voice to how much we appreciate all of you out there in the ether listening, whatever platform you're on. You can find our other episodes and more down the line on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever your podcast needs to get met. Uh, there will certainly be some links in the description to help you out in finding that stuff. And if you found the input and information here valuable, you can find more strategy, analysis, tournament reports, and more like it at transformingthegame.net. We look forward to being back to speak to all y'all next week, but until that time, clear eyes, lip bots, can't lose.